someone caught up with you at the end of the week and asked, how are you doing? I'd imagine that in a crowd like ours, a typical answer would be one of two things. We'd probably either say, I'm good, but I'm just really busy, or I'm just really tired, right? Most of us would agree that something we all have in common is this overwhelming sense of busyness. We've just got very loaded plates, lots to do. We're spent. We come home at the end of the day and we're tired and we're exhausted. How many of us have ever said there just aren't enough hours in the day, right? All of us, sure. We're, we're tired. We're exhausted. We're overworked. We're burning the candle at both ends. We're stretched thin. And all of that, that whole kind of pace of life is just normal for us. That's just the way life is. That's the way our culture is. We're Americans. That's how we live. I read an interesting Time Magazine article that tried to compare work weeks and vacation and days off from some of the major nations throughout the world. Our neighbors across the pond in Britain, the British, work about 39 hours a week and have five weeks of paid vacation. The lazy Germans work about 38 hours a week have six weeks of paid vacation, not to mention 10 holidays. Whereas we Americans work 40 plus hours each week with a little over two weeks of vacation, and that too depending on how long you've been working somewhere. We're one of the only major industrialized nations on the planet that gives time off as a reward for seniority as opposed to a basic job benefit. We're Americans. We're busy. That's just the way life is. And then add to that, we're in Northeast. We're Northeast Americans. We live in the Northeast, where life is faster than everywhere else in the country. If you have friends that come from slow, boring places like Dallas or wherever it may be, <laughs> or, or, or the Midwest, one of the things they immediately notice when they get here is your, your pace of life, right? We drive faster, we talk faster, we live faster, we're constantly on the go. We've got somewhere to go, something to do, something to get done. We live at breakneck speed. We're always on the go. We're always needing to do something. We've got whole industries and companies and businesses surrounding and thriving on our busyness, right? You've got five-hour energy and Red Bull and Starbucks Double Shot and all these different energy drinks that make millions of dollars on just doing what? Propping you up with enough caffeine to get you through the next few hours. And then you crash and are miserable, right? That, that's the way we are. We don't stop. And then if we do stop, even then we're restless and anxious because we're thinking about the things that we're not doing. Right? When we do pause, we still don't stop because our hearts are thinking about the things that we are not getting done because we're not doing it. We're constantly thinking about what we need to do. We're the only kind of people that go on vacation and come back more tired. We need vacations from our vacations because we stock it up with so much activity that we're still more tired. We do not know how to rest. We do not know how to pause. We do not know how to be still. And then, to make everything even more worse, to top it all off, we're so warped with our busyness, so obsessed with our productivity, so addicted to our need to get things done, that it has now begun to affect our perception of things, our view of reality. Because not only are we busy, we value busyness. We equate busyness with importance. The busier you are, 
the more important everyone thinks you are, the more important you appear. If I told you there was a woman who got to work at 9 a.m., worked till 5 p.m., went home and spent the rest of the day at, at home, and told you of another woman that went to work at 7.30 in the morning, got out at 7 p.m., grabbed a quick bite, worked some more at home, and then turned in for bed, you know who you think is more important. I'm not even asking who's busier. You have already made a judgment about who is more important. You don't know their salary. You don't know their job. You don't know their responsibilities. You don't know their quality of life. But you already know who you assume to be more important. We get a sense of identity from busyness. We feel significant when someone else recognizes us as busy. When someone says, I don't want to trouble you because I know you're very busy, no one takes that as a complaint. Everyone takes that as a compliment. You have rightly identified that I am important and therefore busy, right? That's the way we live. Busy, busy, busy. Always something to do, always something to get done, always somewhere to go. Busy. And I think what God wants to say this morning is stop. Pause. Rest. We are so hooked that quiet makes us nervous. Stillness makes us fidgety and uncomfortable. And I want you to hear this is not the life God intended for you. This is not the pace that God has required of you. God, in his love and in his grace, provides and commands rest. The people of God are to be a people of rest. They're to be a Sabbath People. That word means rest. They're to be a restful people. They're to be a Sabbath people. Rest is to be woven into the regular rhythms and pattern of the lives of God's people. Rest is supposed to be woven into the regular rhythm and pattern of life for God's people. Rest. Work, 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 work. Rest. Work, 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 work. Rest. Exodus 31, verse 15, the passage Kurt read for us. Hear this verse again. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Ask God to help us receive this word, and then we'll talk through it together. God, our prayer is that you would feed our souls today with your word, and make a difference in our lives by hearing it and obeying it. Help us not only to hear the word and so deceive ourselves, but do what it says. Help us to be doers of the word. Free us from guilt and condemnation, for neither are from you through Christ. Fill us with conviction, for that is from the Spirit, and then set us to obedience with the power of the Spirit, to the glory of God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, when we got to Exodus 31 last week, if you were here, we had spent all this time talking about how the tabernacle in Israel had to be built. And now in 31, we turned to stop talking about what needed to be done to start talking about who's going to get it done, 
right? If you were here last week, we said that the Spirit of God filled this man named Bezalel and Ohaliab and gave them gifts to be able to do the work that God had required them to do. We had spent lots of talking about this tabernacle, this tent of God's that needed to be built. And now, last week, we turned our attention to say, who's going to do it? Who's going to do that important work? There was very important work that needed to be done. And just as we were getting ready now to start that work, we're almost interrupted by 31 verses 12 through 18. In, in 31, 1 to 11, we're now finally about to pick up the hammer and finally about to start sewing the clothes and finally about to do the things that God has for six chapters been telling us to do. And then we're immediately, abruptly interrupted with this section in 31, verses 12 to 17. God interrupts the command to do the work of building the tabernacle by reminding the people of his first command that they rest. As important as the work of building the tabernacle is, it will not trump or replace God's command that they regularly rest. That's why 31 verse 12 and 13 start by saying, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all. Uh, despite all the other commandments we've given about how things are supposed to be built and where things are supposed to be placed and how you're about to approach this whole thing, above all that, I want you to keep the commandment, the fourth commandment. If you remember back in Exodus 20 when we went through the Ten Commandments, the fourth one was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Right? Why is this passage put here? Because you can imagine it would be very easy for Bezalel and Ohaliab and all the people to assume God's given us some very important holy work. And so let's work as hard as we can, as long as we can, as many days as we can to get this thing done, right? If it requires us to work all week long, the faster, the sooner, the better it is if we build the tabernacle. And God wants to say, as holy as the work of building the tabernacle is, it does not supersede, replace, or trump my commandment that you be a people of rest. Even the holy task of building the tabernacle did not give them a pass on the Sabbath, did not let them lay the Sabbath commandment aside. Hear that? The idea of working for God does not even give you a pass from keeping the Sabbath. No matter how sacred or holy the work is, it still does not give you a pass from keeping this idea of rest. Right? Think about how important this commandment is. One pastor said rightly, you know, it made God's top 10 list for the world. God gives 10 laws, 10 commandments, 10 rules, 10 words about how life is going to be best lived. Here's the ideal life. Here's the good life. Here's how the world will work best. Don't kill. Don't take other people's stuff. Don't sleep with someone else's wife. Take a nap. And you go, how does that fit into the vision of the good life? How does that fit into, here's what I want from you for the world. Here's how life is supposed to flow and work. Why is this call to Sabbath, to taking a day of rest, so important? Now, there's much we could say about the Sabbath, much we ought to think about it. But in Exodus 31, we'll get a few reasons. First, the Sabbath is important because God made the Sabbath for you. God made the Sabbath for you. Look at verse 14. You shall keep the Sabbath 
because it is holy for you. He goes on to give the description of what happens if you don't keep the Sabbath. But he says here, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. We've talked about that word holy before. That word is distinct, removed, other, set apart. And so what God's saying here is, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is set apart for you. Another way we might say that is, God didn't make you for the Sabbath. God made you, God made the Sabbath for you. I'll say that again. God didn't make you to keep the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath for you. God set it apart for you. God created the Sabbath for you. Here, listen. When you hear of the command to keep the Sabbath, you likely hear that as another burden, right? You hear it as another religious thing you got to do. So now if I tell you, keep the Sabbath, you want to say to yourself, I'm already busy as it is, and now I've got to add another religious thing that I've got to do. And the great irony of that is, it's exactly the opposite. I'm actually freeing you from doing stuff as opposed to trying to add to you something else you're trying to do. You hear, listen, one day out of every seven, take the day and rest. And you hear that as a burden. Oh, what a mean and horrible God who's requiring yet another thing from us. He's adding more to our plate. And I'm saying, no, no. He's taking stuff off your plate. Don't see this as a burden. See it for what it is. A gracious gift from a God who loves you, who wants to bless you. Can I invite you for a second to see the Sabbath differently? Not as a burden, but as a blessing. Hear it for a second as the original hearers would have heard it. If you're an Israelite and you're hearing this for the first time, picture your life. Before the Exodus, before chapters 1 through 14 that we looked at a few months ago. If you're in Exodus, if you're in Egypt, you were a slave your whole life. 400 years your people had been in Egypt. You were a slave your whole life. And let me ask you, how many days did you get off? How many days off did you get? How many times did Pharaoh drive by in his chariot and say to the people of Israel, I can see that you are clearly overworked. I can see that you are exhausted and tired, and I do not want to overwork you, and so take the day off. Here's a day of rest. I command it. Never. Never. You work from sunup till sundown, seven days a week, every day, because Pharaoh demanded that you do so. Pharaoh demanded that you build pyramids for his name and his glory, and you were to work no matter how tired, no matter how exhausted. Imagine working in the desert sun seven days a week with no breaks for a cruel master who wants you to build these pyramids for him. Cruel to the point where you're to make bricks even without straw. He does not care one bit about you. And now the people are set free. And now they have a new master. His name is Yahweh. And this God, Yahweh, says to them also, they're to work. They're to build a tabernacle, a dwelling place for him. Only he says, I require you to take a day off. His, his house is so much better than Pharaoh's. His glory is so much greater than, than Pharaoh's. His work is in every way more superior. And yet, despite that, he tells the people, I demand you, command you, require you to take a day of rest. Listen, you, you think about your professions. Some of you are, are medical professions, business. 
your schedules, your students, your, your schedules are insane. Imagine your boss came into the room and said, listen, to the whole staff, I can see that you are all clearly overworked. I, I can see that if, if, if I just let you go, you'll work all seven days a week. And so I am requiring everyone here, I want you to, no, I command you to take the day off. In fact, if you don't, you're going to be fired. None of you would go home and go, what a horrible boss. What an evil master. No, you would go, what a gracious guy. Everyone would be applying for that job, to work for that guy. We're the only kind of people who would see God's command to rest and go, what a mean God. When God is saying to a people who are working seven days a week, I want you to take a day and cease from your labors and rest. Sometimes I want to tell you, I have a very hard time with keeping the Sabbath because deep down, I struggle to believe that God is really that good and that generous. I don't know about you, but I am hardwired in my heart and in my brain to think that God is most pleased with me when I am most productive for him. That's the way I see God. I fight that all the time with the truth of the gospel. But my heart and my brain is hardwired to think he is most pleased with me, he is most accepting of me when I am most productive for him. Do you know why I live that way? Because I live like a slave who's still working for Pharaoh as opposed to a son who's serving a good father. God came and he commanded his people not to work to the bone, not for ceaseless productivity, not for endless production. He told them to rest. It's, it's slavery under Pharaoh that makes you think that what your master wants is for you to work forever because all he's out for is what he can get for you. That's not who God is. I'm, I'm hardwired to think that God can't possibly be that good and that generous as to just want me to take a, a, a break. And that would be pleasing to him. I mean, think of it. If I told you it would be pleasing to God for you to take a day of rest. That means take a nap. Enjoy food. Enjoy drink. Enjoy time with friends. Go for a walk. There's a part of you that goes, there's no way God could be pleased with that. And yet the Sabbath command is exactly that. No way that God could be pleased if you took a whole day to just enjoy being rather than doing. Right? If you took a whole day to just enjoy being rather than doing and to imagine that you have the kind of master that would say, that delights me. Well done. Because we live like slaves working for Pharaoh rather than children serving God. You see, the Sabbath is not a burden. It's not a a heavy weight. It was a, a blessing, a gift given by a gracious God who loves you. The Sabbath was set apart for you. The Sabbath is holy for you. The Sabbath was made for you. This is what Jesus was saying when he came onto the scene and people started giving him a hard time about the Sabbath. And Jesus told all his opponents, listen, man was not made for the Sabbath But Sabbath was made for the man. 
It's not a day to bog down with rules and regulations about what you can and cannot do. It's a gift to you. Because the Sabbath was made for you. A day of rest. A day of renewal. A day of blessing. A day that God has set apart and blessed it above all the others. So that if you participate in it, blessing comes into your life. And if you neglect it, you neglect it to your own loss. Right? It's a a day of rest. It's a day of rest patterned after God's own rest. Look at verse 17. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This day was patterned after God's own work, how God for six days labored and on the seventh rested and was refreshed. You think of that, the the scene is on the seventh day, he ceased from his labor. And instead of working, what does God do on the seventh day? He surveys all that he has made. He enjoys his creation. In fact, it says, and he's refreshed. He was rested and refreshed. That word refreshed is actually the word for a deep breath. Like, (sighs) You, you think of that. It's not that God was tired. But God invites us into that to say, here, one day in seven, I want you to rest like I did. I want you to be refreshed like I did. So that means one day in seven, you're going to cease from your work. Stop from your labors. You're going to survey God's work in the world and in your life. You're going to rejoice in what God has done and what he's done through you. You're going to look back at all that's been accomplished and you're going to take a deep breath. You're going to do that which refreshes you, right? I mean, what a great conversation that would be for you today to have to sit down and write and think about what is it that refreshes me? What is it by the end of the day I go, ah, right? Imagine a God so good who's telling you, listen, I want you to take a nap, enjoy food, enjoy friends, plug out of your your BlackBerry and your addiction to Facebook and turn off the TV and enjoy the world, enjoy people, enjoy creation. If you, if you sit at a desk all day, go out, take a walk, garden, play ball. If you work with your hands all day, then work, sir, rest with your mind, read a book, enjoy coffee, go out, listen to music. And this is not aimless rest. It's Godward in direction, right? Verse 15, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. So all your resting, all your being refreshed is unto the Lord, Godward in direction, so that as you cease from labor and rest, your heart is directed towards God. God knows that what you need above all things is him, and he sets apart a day for you to enjoy God. Right? You have six days in which your mind is crowded with a million things. Your plate is loaded with a million tasks. And one day out of seven, God invites you to enjoy Him, to intentionally direct your heart towards Him, to think upon God. And so it's right on your Sabbath day to sit in silence, to have solitude, to read scripture, to read a book, to read a devotional, to meet with friends, to pray. Listen to me. We are so busy 
And our lives are so crowded with noise, we have no idea what it's like to listen to God. We imagine him to be mute, who does not speak anymore. Only he's speaking all the time. We're just never still enough to listen. Some moments of quiet in your life, stillness that you've carved out so that your heart can be directed towards God, so that you could listen to him, so that you could find rest for your weary souls in him. I'm telling you, two days of rest with the Lord will do more for you than nine months of you trying to numb the pain of your busyness through, through Netflix or, or dessert or all these other things that you run to to try and give you a break. Sit before the Lord. Hear from him. Be still before him. Take a, a contemplative walk. Enjoy the Lord. And consider the finished work of his hands. And not just in creation, but the finished work of his hands in salvation. Rest and rejoice in your salvation. Turn for a second to Deuteronomy 5. I want to show you something else about the Sabbath. It's on page 150 if you have the Black Bible. Deuteronomy 5. In Deuteronomy, you have another version of Exodus 20. Another recounting of the Ten Commandments. And there also is the Sabbath command given, only it's rooted in a different reason. Hear this. In Exodus 20, the Sabbath is rooted in creation. You're supposed to pattern your rest after God's finished work in creation. In Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath is rooted in something else. Look at Deuteronomy 5, starting at verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Skip down to verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In Exodus 20, you find that the reason for keeping the Sabbath is to pattern your rest after God's finished work of creation. In Deuteronomy 5, you're called to rest and rejoice in Sabbath, rooted in God's finished work of salvation. Because the day is not just a day to remember God's finished work in the world, but God's finished work for your soul, the finished work of salvation. Here, when the people of Israel were entering into Sabbath, here's what they were remembering. When we were in Exodus 14, some months back, you remember, the people of Israel were standing in front of the Red Sea. The Pharaoh and his army was barreling down behind them. The Red Sea was in front of them. And at that moment, they're panicking about what they need to do. Right? What do they got to do to save? And Moses' command to them is what? Be still. Cease. Do nothing. And see the salvation of the Lord. Right? His command to them was literally, Sabbath, rest, be still. And as they did nothing, the sea parted for them. And they walked through and it collapsed on their enemies. And God rescued them and saved them through not the work of their own hands, but God's work for them. So that when Israel enters into Sabbath, what they're remembering is God's work. God's outstretched hand. God's mighty arm has accomplished the work of salvation not our own. As they enter into Sabbath, they're reminding themselves that the greatest work that needed to be done was done by God's hand and not their own. So when you enter Sabbath, 
when you take a day to rest, you remember the same, that the great work of your salvation was finished by Jesus, that on the cross, Jesus is the one who said, it is finished. The work that God requires, the greatest work that needed to be done, Jesus accomplished it, and not through your work. In, in fact, Hebrews will say, if we enter into God's rest, we stop from our own works just like God rested from his. So here's what I mean. If you can trust Jesus to have done the work that was required for the greatest work, for your greatest rest, then you can trust Jesus for a day of rest. You can enjoy not just his finished work of creation, but his finished work of salvation. You have such busy lives. You have such busy and packed lives. And yet, in his love and grace for you, God gives you a day of rest. A day carved out to renew your soul, to have it directed towards God, to rest your body and soul in him. I want to give you one more. The Sabbath was given for you. It was made for you. It was set apart for you. But Exodus 31 also teaches us that the Sabbath sets you apart. The Sabbath was not only set apart for you. The Sabbath sets you apart from the rest of the world. Hear that again. The Sabbath was not only set apart for you. The Sabbath sets you apart from the rest of the world. Look at verse 13. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. This is a sign that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And again, we've talked about that word sanctify. Like holy, it's a word that means set you apart, make you distinct, make you set apart. And so the Sabbath is given not just as a gift for us, but it's given as a sign to God's people that they were set apart. They were sanctified. They were holy. They were different from everyone else. The people of God in Israel were often given signs, like circumcision was a sign, a signifying that mark that set them apart from all the other people on the planet. Likewise, the Sabbath was given to God's people as a sign that was going to set them apart from all the other people on the planet. Unlike everyone else, God's people are Sabbath people. It sets them apart. And here's what I want you to hear. That still is true. The Sabbath still sets you apart from the rest of the world. To keep Sabbath means that you must be different and distinct. You have to be. Because no one keeps the Sabbath unless they're following a different set of rules, playing by a different set of values. You must be distinct if you're honestly going to be Sabbath people. You have to be. Look, here's the way that our world works. The pattern of our world, the value of our world, the way of our world says you work until exhaustion. You have to. Right? If I told you to take one day out of every seven and it completely off, if you're honest... You would tell me that's, that's ideally nice, practically impossible, right? If you're honest, you'll say, that sounds right. Practically, it's impossible. You, you would tell me, look, if I don't keep at it, then things will go out of control. My life will fall apart. Nothing will get done. If I don't stay at it, I won't advance in my career. I won't prove myself to others. I won't meet the expectations that others have on me. 
If I don't keep at it, we won't have the money that we, we, we need. It, we won't have the security. We won't be able to enjoy the things that we want to enjoy. You could add a host of reasons all your own. And so here's what I'm saying. It's going to take something mammoth, something huge, to actually counter all those objections that you have. It's got to be something really big if you're going to live by a different set of rules. You would need to know something that everyone else is missing if you're going to live counter. And what the Sabbath is, is the Sabbath is radically countercultural. The Sabbath is radically subversive, radically different than the pattern by which everyone else lives. Because if you're going to keep the Sabbath, it's going to require humility and it's going to require faith. If you're going to keep the Sabbath, here's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a loud proclamation, I am not God. That's what the Sabbath shouts. It's this act of humility because what you're shouting is, I am not God. I want to read you this one quote from this man named Mark Buchanan who writes on the Sabbath. He says this, all things not God, all things made by God need rest and maybe especially us. Because unlike goats and beetles and flies and lizards, we try to outwit and outrun our limits. We think we're the exception, the one for whom busyness will translate into fruitfulness. We think because we've figured out ways to spy on babies in the womb, to tease out strands of DNA, to send whole computer files from New York to Nairobi in a split second, we think because of our industry and ingenuity, and it seems boundless, we can also figure out a way around our God-imposed need for stillness. We can't. Right? We think because of all the progress we've made, we don't need sleep, we don't need rest, we can push, we can do, we can accomplish. And yet the Sabbath is this loud proclamation, God neither slumbers nor sleeps. God neither grows tired nor weary, and I am not God. I take a day because I'm not God. It's, it's this loud proclamation that the things in my life, my life, my career, my family, my responsibilities, these things are not under control because I'm constantly on top of them, but because God is. Not because I rule and reign and direct all things in my life, but because God does. The Sabbath is this humble proclamation of faith by which you say, I can lie down on my bed right now, because God is seating on the throne right now. The next time that you feel like you need a nap and a million lies come streaming into your head going, there's no way, there's a million things that... You can go, I can lie down because he's sitting up. I can go to bed because he's on the throne. My life is not under control because I rule and reign. My life is under control because God rules and reigns. I am not God. It's the proud who do not rest. It's slaves who do not rest. Freedmen, God's men, rest. It also takes faith. Because the Sabbath is this loud proclamation, not only am I not God, I'm free. I'm free from the million things that would tell me that I cannot rest. Right? Free from anxiety and worry. One of the things that the Sabbath built in was Israel was forced to trust God. Because if 
Six days you go and work. That means you're going to have to trust that without me harvesting on the seventh day, God will provide. You don't get that because you're not in an agricultural culture. But, but for you to take a day away from the harvest means you've got to trust that without you plowing the fields, without you working, your family will have all that it needs. It's a step of faith. Faith is still required. And what the Sabbath says is, I'm free from thinking that my family, my needs are provided because of my industry. The Sabbath is freedom from an identity that's rooted in accomplishment or fear of man. You work because you need everyone else seeing something right about you, saying something good about you. I I can tell you so many times in my own life where I've had to try the best I could to look as busy as I can because I don't want anyone thinking less of me. Right? The worst thing I could say is, yeah, I have time. That's like, that's like saying I'm a bum. I might as well just say I'm a bum. Right? Because you, you constantly need other people to think rightly of you. And yet, what the Sabbath says is my identity does not come from what someone else says of me. And it doesn't come from my accomplishments. And it doesn't come from my achievements. And it doesn't come from my work. My identity is rooted in what Jesus Christ did for me. He died on the cross. He said, it is finished. He made me a child of God. The Father has spoken well done over me. I'm now adopted into God's home. He's resurrected, and I'm going to receive glory. And I belong to him, and I'm free. Free enough to not need human approval, not work and spin on a gerbil wheel to get accomplishments free. I want to read you one more quote. Anyone who overworks is really a slave. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitive employers, to parental expectations, or all of the above. And these slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. Only free men rest. Slaves work and work tirelessly for a cruel master. Freedmen rest. And maybe some of you want to say, Ajay, you don't get it. You don't know how demanding my program is. You don't know how full my plate is. You don't know what it takes to stay on top of my profession. You, you honestly must not even get ambition. You must not want to go anywhere in life, right? I want to say two things to you. One, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What does it profit you if you are the best in your class and the first in your company and you gain the whole world and your soul week after week shrivels and shrinks till there is no room for God? Some of you have no time to read the scriptures, to pray, to sit still. Your life is so crowded and busy. And again, it would be right for us to hear Jesus say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? But second, I want you to hear this. I'm not saying Christians don't work and don't work hard and don't excel. I'm just saying God's people work out of rest rather than for rest. The pattern of this world is you work, 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 work for the weekend. Everyone's working for the weekend, right? You work until you're exhausted and then the weekend is your reward. When God made Adam, he made him on the sixth day. One pastor said this and I thought it was great. He made him on the sixth day, and on the seventh day is the Sabbath. Adam's made on the sixth day. The seventh day is the Sabbath. And so the very first thing Adam is supposed to do is enter into God's rest and then work out of that rest. 
Remember, God told Adam, I want you to work the garden and keep it. I want you to exercise dominion over the whole world. I want you to name the animals. I want you to do all this. I want you to make my glory known everywhere. All of that is given to Adam. But I want you to rest. And then coming out of that rest, here's the work you're supposed to do. The pattern of the people of God is we enter into God's rest. His finished work, all the strivings we need to do are done. Jesus has done it. And flowing out of that rest, we work. And work for God. Let me ask you. The Sabbath was given as a gift set apart for you, and the Sabbath sets you apart from all the world. So here's the question. Does your pace of life, does the rhythm of your life, do the patterns of your life look different from the people around you in any way? If you work to the bone, if your every waking moment is filled with anxious toil, tell me, how is that different from anyone else in the world? How are your values, your identity, your hopes, your dreams, your convictions, your faith, your belief, how is that different from anyone else? What I'm asking is, does believing in Jesus make any difference for you from everyone else who does not believe in Jesus? Does believing in God and Jesus make any difference for how you live the rhythm of your life from everyone who does not? Does your faith Is it just a decision you checked off so that you could get to heaven when you die? Or does it have anything to do with how you live life now? Because the Sabbath was set apart as a gift for you, and the Sabbath sets you apart from the rest of the world. Not because of our own merit, not so we can be different, but because God made a difference in our lives. So that I can counter the lies that come to my heart about, I've got to take care of myself, and I go, no, 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 Jesus took care of me. I've got to make an identity. No, no, Jesus gave me an identity. I've got to provide for myself. No, no, Jesus provided. And on and on the list goes. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So how should we respond? We'll end with that. You've heard all this. How do you respond? Well, when God tells you something that you have not been doing, there's only one way to respond. You repent and you obey. Whenever you come across a commandment of God that you have not been keeping, the only response is to repent and obey. So repent. As you hear this Sabbath command to you this morning, don't just think, that's a good idea that I should put into my life. Think, I have been disobedient and I need to repent. I can tell you, as I've been working through this and thinking about this, there is so much conviction throughout this week for me because I have failed to keep the Sabbath. And I have neglected to my own loss and to the loss of my family much benefit and blessing because I have thought myself to be wiser than God. I have forfeited much blessing for my own soul and for those that I love because I have neglected God's command. And so start By repenting, acknowledge that you have failed to do what God has called you to do. And second, obey. Whenever you come across anything in the scriptures where you're doing wrong, you repent and you obey. Let me give you two practical words for how you might obey. Plan and persevere. Okay, you may have heard all of this and go, okay, I'm keeping the Sabbath. Let me give you two steps that might be helpful. Plan. 
The Jewish people were excellent at planning and preparation because if Sabbath, Saturday, meant that they could not do anything, they couldn't light a fire, make a meal, that meant on Friday there was a great deal of preparing to do if you were going to enter the Sabbath well. Does that make sense? If you're not going to cook on Saturday, that means you've got to prepare food on Friday so that you can enjoy it on Saturday. It, it just took a lot of preparation, planning. In the same way, you will not stumble into rest without thought, without intentionality, without planning. You may even force yourselves to stop from labor, but without planning, your heart will not be Sabbath-like, restful. And so it's going to take planning and preparation. If you're single, talk with your soul care community. Talk with some friends. If you're married, I was thinking, what a great conversation this could be for you as you go home today. How much fun is it going to be to say, what brings you rest? That's, that's a joyful question to answer. Let me think about the things that bring me rest, that makes me refreshed, that lets me at the end of the day go, like God. What can I do to enlarge my soul and direct it towards God and feel rested? So plan and prepare and think about how you will keep the Sabbath. What needs to change in your life, in your schedule, if you are going to, one day out of seven, keep the Sabbath holy? And Sunday, for just about all of us, is the perfect day to keep the Sabbath. You come, you remember the Lord's finished work, no more striving. You rejoice in God, your heart is enlarged to Him. Spend the rest of the day with God's people, right? Think about it. If you're an introvert and people exhaust you, then don't plan for the Sabbath day to be filled with lots of people. If you're an extrovert and you come alive with people, then plan to be in fellowship and community as you take the Sabbath. What is it that refreshes you, renews you, enlarges your heart towards God? Plan. And second, persevere. You know what's great about this passage? God says, keep my Sabbaths, plural. The good thing about this is there's one every week. Because you're going to mess it up. You're going to go from here and go, all right, I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to enlarge my heart. The first week, you're going to mess it up. The good news is, in another seven days, it'll be back. And you just get to keep at it, right? Keep at this, persevere. Talk with community, be honest, repentant. And as you do it, persevere in keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath was set apart as a gift for you. And by it, you are set apart from the world. So above all things, God says, keep my Sabbaths. Let's pray.